Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace, who know you listen to the Cracked Podcast, read the website cracked.com. That means you're internet savvy and interesting and full of ideas. Why don't you express those ideas, express yourself with your own website, especially because Squarespace makes it so easy. You can showcase your work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks that give you a customized space on the internet. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than you think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also thoughtful about the pop culture we broadcast to you. Here's what I mean by that. I've said before that our audience members are geniuses and saints. That is true. Also, we know they are a diverse range of ages, nationalities, interests, and life experiences. Not all of you like the same movies and books and TV shows and music. However, I'm here to tell you that every single one of you is about to be fascinated by Justin Timberlake. Yeah, promise that. Also, you don't need to be familiar with Justin Timberlake's music going into this episode. The point is that he has done something far bigger than music and pop culture in the last couple months, something that connects with everything from modern Montana to centuries of American history. And I got to realize that because I've read the work of this week's guest. Her name is Anne Helen Peterson. She is the senior culture writer for BuzzFeed News. She holds a PhD from the University of Texas. She was a visiting assistant professor at Whitman College. And as far as I can tell, she is the one writer on earth covering all of the following things at once. Celebrity culture, modern society, and the American Mountain West. And all of those things have intersected really, really weirdly in the form of modern Justin Timberlake. Because here's the significant thing he did. As you may know, Justin Timberlake performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl two weeks ago. He also appeared on The Tonight Show, will appear on award shows later this spring, and he's going on a world tour for the whole rest of the year. And all that stuff, which will be performed for millions of people the world over, is built on the back of his new album. That album is called Man of the Woods. And as Anne's picked out in her writing, Man of the Woods has all of the packaging of a rootsy, soulful, rural-life-driven, back-to-basics country music album. Justin Timberlake is presenting himself as having made a massive personal change with Man of the Woods' album title and song titles and cover and promo campaign. It's all built on one idea. And to quote Mr. Timberlake directly, Man of the Woods is, quote, really inspired by my son, my wife, my family, but more so than any album I've ever written, where I'm from, end quote. And Justin is from Western Tennessee. He now has a home in the state of Montana, and he spent months leading up to this pitching himself as a newly reborn rural Western man of the woods, as he calls it. And then the album came out about a week ago. And if you listen to it, it is a standard Justin Timberlake R&B album. It's uh, pleasant and somewhat sexual, and it's exactly what all of his music sounds like, even though he's been pitching himself as this reborn Western cowboy lumberjack fella for some reason. And we'll get into that reason, but just on the face of it, it is one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. It is a hilarious switcheroo. To me, it's the real-life version of a straight-up joke from the classic music mockumentary movie, This is Spinal Tap. And the joke in that movie is that Nigel Tufnell is one of the members of the movie's band, which is a hair metal, cock rock kind of band. And suddenly, in one scene, he takes a quiet moment to play this beautiful, soulful piano music. It's pretty. He describes it as a departure and a different side of him that he wants to bring out. And then the documentary's director asks him this. Just simple lines intertwining, you know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach. And it's sort of in between those. It's really, it's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. Yeah. Lick My Love Pump is the title of the song after, like, all that buildup and all that, oh, I've really changed. And, I, and Justin Timberlake did that, like, in real life. He did a massive worldwide version of it, and it, it's amazing to me. He was all about, oh, it's this new rural self, and then it's him singing about dancing and feeling sexy and kissing you all night in the exact way he did before. 
So that's funny and fascinating all on its own to me. And we're going to cover that. However, this show that we do, it's about more than like dunking on celebrities for doing art wrong. That would not really be a show. We aim higher here. And as Anne will illustrate, Justin Timberlake's Instagram cowboy thing that he's doing now, it's part of a thing that a lot of white male celebrities in particular have been doing for a while now. Also, regular people have been doing their own version of it in the Mountain West. And we're going to get into all that, all those interesting connections, all those crazy ways this pop culture thing overlaps with where America is at today. Because a surprising number of white celebrities and also white regular Americans are mythologizing the West and idealizing the West and moving their entire lives to chase after this thing in the West that has a lot of uh, undercurrents to it. And we're going to get into all of that. This is a heck of an episode and a lot of fun. One other thing worth mentioning before we dig into it, guns are part of today's topic. Uh, They're crucial to the the white Western migration we're going to get into. It's not a gun episode. We're not going to get into like gun control or the bigger, bigger issues of it. But uh, Ann and I taped this one day before an awful school shooting in Florida. And I figure I should just mention that guns come up. And so you know where we're at mentally as we're speaking about them and also that it's on the show in a very general way. So when Ann and I are talking, we don't know about that Florida shooting. We uh, we merely know about the hundreds and hundreds of mass shootings since Sandy Hook in 2012. Uh, and again, not a gun episode, not our main focus. Just they do come up. I know feelings are raw, and that's where it's at. And now it's time to have some fun. We're going to talk Timberlake. Please sit back or continue to stare out at the western horizon as you wipe your brow and wind down from being a real man all day by listening to a, a comedy websites podcast, I guess. Any, anyway, enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. I will be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. I am joined on the phone by journalist and culture writer and uh, probably our first ever Montana-based guest, Anne Helen Peterson. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Anne. Really appreciate it. Um, my pleasure. I'm a big fan of your writing for the uh, for our listeners who maybe haven't seen your writing before. Tell us a little bit about your, I guess I'd call it your beat at BuzzFeed News. You're a senior culture writer there, but also I, I, you're covering an interesting set of things, I'd say. It's hard to explain. Like, it's one of those things that's hard to explain to your mom. <laughs> I think I, I think of it as culture broadly defined. So sometimes that means covering and analyzing celebrity, which is I have a PhD in media studies and the history of celebrity gossip specifically. So that's kind of old hat for me. But then also that can mean looking at politics stuff. So right now I'm working on a piece on Hope Hicks and her celebrity. And then also I cover the West. So I'm the Western correspondent for BuzzFeed, which means looking at cultural stories happening here. And you're based in Montana. What part of Montana? I'm in Missoula, which is the best. (laughs) That's good. Our Missoula listeners are glad to hear that. Yeah, they are. Uh, Montanans are like incredibly competitive about cities in a way that I have never seen before. And we use the term city lightly because like the biggest city in Montana is 100,000 people. But there's still, there's a lot of rivalry that goes on between the cities. I'm a fan of a lot of your work. I particularly reached out because you recently did a piece. It's called Justin Timberlake, John Mayer, and the Western Rehab for White Masculinity. And one of the one of the many things I picked up from it is that uh, Justin Timberlake lives in Montana now, or at least part of the time. Uh, he's in Big Sky. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's unclear how much time he spends in Montana. It's supposedly, it's his primary residence, maybe. So Big Sky is a resort town that is about, I don't know, half an hour away from Bozeman, uh, which is in kind of the central part of the state. And it's a really beautiful area, incredible mountains, but it's become this big resort community uh, that's almost exclusively populated by, you know, wealthy people and then the people that serve them who, of course, you know, live on the outskirts of town or even the town over. And Timberlake specifically lives in a, a segment of town or a settlement, I guess, called the Yellowstone Club, which is a hyper-exclusive gated community um, where (laughs) lots of different millionaires and billionaires have homes. And it's a Montana where you only interact with people who, like Timberlake, who aren't really from Montana, but want the Montana experience. And he seems 
particularly fascinating to me now that I've read about him and, and followed up on what he's up to lately because he's probably one of the most famous people in America. Like he's one of the few celebrities who has been a big deal for decades now, these days, especially when everything's so fragmented. Your article, I think, really picks out um, the transition he's made. For, for people who don't know, how, how has he changed? How has he taken a left turn lately? The first point that you make that he is one of those celebrities that has broad cultural currency in our fragmented culture is, is a really good one. And I think that you can see that in the fact that he was chosen to perform in the Super Bowl. You need someone who, like, everyone knows who they are. But so yeah. what he's done, he historically has taken a significant amount of time between albums and has created kind of like a hype for, like, whatever this new album is going to be and whatever its message is going to be. And for this latest one... He released a teaser in early January for it called Man of the Woods, and it was only about a minute, and it really is just images of him, like, in the woods, next to a fire, jumping, like, through the woods, wearing jeans and wearing a Pendleton blanket, talking about, like, you know, getting back to nature. There's some narration from his wife, Jessica Beale about, like, earthiness and that sort of thing. Um, and so, really, yeah. this album was signaled as like, okay, this is maybe he's going to be his country turn. He also released this track set that, that showed that one of the songs is going to be a collaboration with Chris Stapleton, who is kind of like the, the leading, I wouldn't call him pure country. He's kind of like this mainstream country, crossover country singer. No one knew what it was going to sound like exactly. When the album was finally released, it's been kind of a surprise what a, what a mix of sonic landscapes <laughs> it includes <laughs> yeah i honestly didn't follow that build up as it was happening but looking back on it now it was really surprising to me because i i knew that justin timberlake had dabbled in country a little bit like i he played a song with chris stapleton at the cmas i think in 2015 yeah where they did a chris stapleton song and it's a country song and he's actually doing that and i was like oh that's interesting that's sort of a turn for him and then he does this whole build up to this album called man of the woods where the cover is this like split picture of him where he's half in the woods half in the city ish and it's yeah. like oh he's finally got turned country and then I listened to the album. It felt like a straight up Justin Timberlake album. Like he's just he just did like some country packaging on what he already does, as far as I can tell. It was a very like funny twist to me as someone not invested in it. Well, yeah, and like there's some of the songs, you know, a friend of mine on Twitter said like they sound like he, you know, kind of like wants to have sex with robots or something. Like there's this very <laughs> interesting, like tech dystopia feel to them and you and that's also present in the videos for especially the first single there are a lot of robots it's like at some point in the future like um in malaysia and there's all sorts of weird currents going on which to me it seems like there's these poles of like the future that he maybe is imagining and then this re like this recoil from that future into you know the natural space of the land and being with his family and that sort of thing and it doesn't work as a cohesive whole in any sort of way. And I think part of that is that, like, whatever this return to the land is, just like this future tech dystopia, neither one feels authentic in any sort of way. When you say it sounds like he wants to have sex with robots, like, that first single, the video is him doing kind of a TED Talk, Apple Keynote kind of thing, where the product seems to be a sexy robot. We'll footnote it. It's amazing. Like It's it's a robot dancing with humans and trying to be like robo Justin Timberlake while he's at the side doing the moves. And yeah. that's the lead single for his country album. It's bonkers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so funny to me. <laughs> well, and when I first wrote the piece, you know, I was writing it based on this teaser trailer for Man of the Woods. And so when the first single came out, well, and he released the, the track list and all the, ti the titles for his tracks are like Supplies, Woods, Montana. Like they're very much in the vein of whatever this larger aesthetic project is. And then the yeah. first single was this, you know, Sex with Robots thing. <laughs> and so people, to me, were like, this is what you get for, like, writing before the album came out. And I was like, stay tuned, because I think there's more here. 
And really what it shows, the fact that, like, the other songs and then also, like, whatever this pop-up shop he's doing in New York where he sells, like, Yeti coolers and um, a Levi's Man of the Woods jacket and then his Super Bowl performance where he wore, like, <laughs> this shirt, which I have been, you know, some people thought it was an elk that was on his shirt, but I have been informed by many Montanans that it is, in fact, a red deer. <laughs> and <laughs> Get your hoofed mammals right, Anne. Come on. But, Come but, on. But it looks like, you know, that shirt, one of those shirts that, like, hipsters buy of, like, wolves howling at the moon that you could get at oh. Urban Outfitters. <laughs> we, but, will, we will footnote three wolf moon for anyone who hasn't uh, seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was designed by Stella McCartney. It cost, like, $450. So it, again, like, highlights just how preposterous this is. Like, my favorite thing that's happened in the wake of publishing this article, you know, in the, the teaser video, there's a bunch of images of Justin Timberlake walking around with a Pendleton blanket wrapped around him. And the sixth generation Montana emailed me like a 1200 word essay on why Montanans would never wear a Pendleton blanket, essentially because like they're expensive. <laughs> and why would you like drag that in the mud? Yeah. And a Pendleton blanket is that what I sort of imagine as a large Western blanket, like like yeah. sort of like a, almost like a serape or something. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a, it's a wool blanket and manufactured in Oregon based on designs that were inspired by, a.k.a. stolen from Native Americans. Um, it's a prestige item in a lot of Western homes. Like you buy one and you keep it for a really long time. And here he is, like, dragging it through the woods. Yeah, like a tourist or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> like someone who doesn't know how much things cost. There's so many things about this album I just want to explore because how funny they <laughs> of how funny they are. For example, like, well, you mentioned the track list that he posted and, and you pick out in the article that it's almost exactly the style of, if people know the musician, Bon Iver, which is his real name's Justin Vernon. He went to a cabin in Wisconsin and wrote a very, very personal album about his life. And it's sort of a, a handwritten track list on a piece of paper. And so Justin Timberlake does that for his, his sex robot album because it's also country to him, you know? The contrast, and I actually had this like big segment that got cut by my editor about like the, the actual difference between him and Bon Iver. Like, that was Bon Iver's, like, family cabin in the woods in Wisconsin. Like, he yes. spent time there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas <laughs> this, is like, this is like a McMansion in a settlement in Montana where you fly to the Bozeman Airport and then you take a helicopter directly to the Yellowstone Club. I think you also pick out that Justin Timberlake is from Tennessee and has some land there and then also has a penthouse in Tribeca in Manhattan that is worth $20 million. Is that right? I didn't know apartments could cost that. People can handle like having multiple places. Like Ted Turner has had a ranch in Montana for a really long time. Um, there's like tons of other stars who have ranches here who like don't then turn it into a concept album. They just live there and stuff. They just yeah. live there and enjoy Montana. <laughs> well, in part because they don't want anyone else to come live here. Which is, again, like part of the, the tension here, why Montana's like, it's an economy that's increasingly rooted in tourism, but at the same time, like, no one wants you to come here. There are a few spaces like that, I think. Well, I grew up outside Chicago, and Wisconsin, actually speaking of Wisconsin, was a bit like that. Like, uh, local people wanted Illinois, Chicago tourists to come by, and also to not come by. Like, it, yeah. was, it was sort yeah, of an yeah, adversarial yeah. thing. The thing that attracts tourists, like, then the tourists ruin the thing, so it's that tension. Yeah, yeah. As much as this album is silly, it's also, from your article and from other things about it, I'm realizing that I think Justin Timberlake might be the most fascinating celebrity right now just because he's doing this left turn, which in a vacuum would be just what it is and kind of silly. But it's also so culturally significant, for one thing, because it's it's so big, it's so prominent. As you said, he played halftime at the Super Bowl, the big TV event. It was watched by 111 million Americans. The Super Bowl was the 10th most watched TV show ever to air. And then his album is, as we tape, number one in the country. So it's it's huge. He's also one of the musicians where when he started his career, album sales were everything and now we're streaming everything. But either way, he's massive. And then also it feels like there's more to it with this turn. Like it feels like he's almost calculating who he's going to be for us, which I guess is something celebrities have always done. But yeah. as you're right, there's there's something more to it than just I feel country now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I think it's instructive to look at what he's done and how his album has been received 
I think, in tandem with what happened with Taylor Swift earlier this year. Yeah. Who also, you know, like her album is successful, but she does not seem culturally relevant in the same way that she did, say, two years ago, right? I think that white celebrities are in this really fraught moment. A person becomes a celebrity when what they mean, what they culturally come to embody, mm-hmm. resonates with, you know, as many people as possible. That's how, you know, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Taylor Swift all rose to prominence is by articulating these kind of this like white co-option of black coolness and then also ideas about like, you know, Britney Spears and Taylor Swift are both this reconciliation of like sexuality and romance and innocence. Um, And Justin Timberlake is like a gentleman player. And but I think that right now, especially like in the wake of Trumpism and what whiteness has come to represent in this moment. I I wrote a piece earlier this year about the great white celebrity vacuum. Like there are no new prominent white stars who seem to represent, you know, what's going on in this moment. Like to me, Justin Timberlake saying like one of the most prominent flaps that he's had in the last couple of years is he has rejected or kind of shied away from the Black Lives Matter movement saying, you know, like not he hasn't explicitly said all lives matter, but he doesn't want to engage in a political conversation about it. And like, that's not an okay thing anymore, right? Like this is the whole conversation about like, oh, is Taylor Swift a Trump voter? The stakes of being apolitical are too high right now. How new is that? I feel like maybe this is the first era where not only can you not be apolitical, but also we on the internet are demanding that people take that stand, right? Because totally. maybe in the past, a celebrity could sort of just ride this out. When I was a kid, uh, again, growing up around Chicago, Michael Jordan was everything. That was my guy. And he, in hindsight, was pretty famously apolitical yeah. in the 90s. Like he he had sponsorships and he played basketball and he was focused on that. And he didn't, it wasn't really demanded that he do more now it feels like celebrities need to deliver on that. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think it's somewhat facile to attribute all of that to the Internet, but at the same time, like, you can't not, has made all of, like, the lines that used to separate these components of culture, so sports, politics, celebrity, music, you know, all of those things, like, now they're all blended. So all things are asked of all people all the time. Is it Asking too much for someone like Justin Timberlake, whose career is really rooted in components of black culture, to have an opinion or like be called upon to to participate in Black Lives Matter or say, I don't, you know, I don't want to participate in that. But instead, he's trying to remain neutral. I think same thing with Taylor Swift. But remaining neutral yeah. is an, is itself a position at this moment. Right. I think it always has been and maybe we're noticing it more. And with Timberlake in particular, uh, it seems like a lot of his artistry and his work has also drawn on black culture. Is he, with this pivot or what he's doing, is he trying to uh, like reconcile that and, and maybe reconcile it by not dealing with it at all? You know, like he's still working with Pharrell. It's not like he's suddenly like I, a white supremacist only working oh, with sure, white sure. producers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think he's trying to remove himself from that conversation. He's trying to have a different conversation, but that, again, that's a political act. Yeah, for sure. And also in your writing, you pick out multiple celebrities who are doing that kind of thing. And in that piece we talked about at the top about Timberlake, the other two people who pop up a lot are John Mayer and uh, Donald Trump Jr., who's Mm -hmm. a a marginally different case. But John (laughs) Mayer, I didn't know how many dumb things John Mayer said around 2010. He really oh, went man. for it. He, in an interview, used the N-word uh, full on. He yeah, yeah. said he had a Benetton heart and a David Duke cock because he only liked to date white women. And then he uh, also compared his struggle to a black dude's. And then his response was to move west, uh, to just move to Montana, something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this is a different time of celebrity scandal back then. Um, yeah. I mean, it was like I was studying celebrity then and it was a big deal. But like the sphere of outrage in Twitter was just slightly different at that moment. Um, but he really did. He moved to Montana to get shut up. And <laughs> it, it worked for him to some extent. It's something that I've studied a lot in my other reporting in terms of the way that people from 
California, conservatives from California and from other places in the United States, but a lot of them from California, have decided to move to North Idaho, Western Montana, um, different rural places in the Mountain West in order to, as they say, to get away from the strife. And what they really mean is they want to get away from those harder questions that are, you know, gripping our society at this moment. And I don't think that you know, John Mayer or Justin Timberlake is a conservative who's moving away to get away from that sort of strife, but they are trying to get away from those harder questions that are asked of, of celebrities in the contemporary moment. Uh, yeah, that, that's such a fascinating thing because yeah, you've written a lot about Montana and Idaho and, and other places where I think it's called the American Redoubt has sort yeah. of assembled, yeah. where, where when we're talking about regular people, it's a mix of libertarians and conservatives and just people who feel that they need an empty space to, uh, I, I guess, celebrate the Constitution more than they otherwise could <laughs> in a, in a celebrate city. Celebrate the Constitution is a good way to put it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, some of them are, are preppers who who really think that the world is going to come to an end. Not in, like, necessarily, you know, I think oftentimes preppers are, are portrayed as crazy. I think it's more people who are like, listen, like, peak oil, like the end of water, this stuff is real. Um, and recognize that, like, living off the grid, like, it's a practical decision from all sorts of different political inclinations, but a lot of them are very far right and, like you said, want to be able to practice their understanding of the Constitution which mostly means having guns. I, I wonder how much those beliefs go hand in hand, like wanting what they feel is more constitutional lifestyle and also pure survival of where the world's going. We've done a recent episode with uh, the author Charles C. Mann because he has a new book where they talk about, among other things, it's just predicted that the Earth's population is going to keep going up quite a bit. By the year 2050, we'll have 10 billion people. And so, yeah, that's interesting that they, I guess, see the West as a place to weather that change. I remember I wrote a, a profile of this woman who is a big prepper and like has an online site that's directed specifically towards women. And my editor at the time, you know, he, his kids were in New York, like he had two young kids who were in New York. And he was like, this is giving me so much stress. Like my kids have no skills, like we will die right away. Um, and I think that that's not an uncommon fear amongst parents that are that have been raised in more urban environments. It's like no one has skills. No one can start a fire. Like we will die in the apocalypse. It's very real. How recent is this kind of move, both on the celebrity version and the, the regular person version? Because I work on the internet and publish things on the internet, one of my little favorite things to do is look at the URL of an article and see, oh, maybe that was the original title or, or it's a core of it. And oh, yeah. your, your article's URL has the phrase, go west, white man, um, <laughs> which which I think is referencing Horace Gre the quote Horace Greeley made famous about yeah. go west, young man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the west has long lived in the imagination of... Americans, but also Europeans, like as, as this place, you know, manifest destiny, all of these things that most of us have learned in some capacity in some history class of like, you know, where you could fulfill your God-given right to expand and then become masculine. Um, to be sure, it's a, it's a white dream. It's, a, it's an Anglo-Saxon dream in a lot of ways. Um, but it's also like this land of opportunity where you can find yourself and, and become manly this is not necessarily a totally contemporary thing. Like there have a lot of times when there's been scandal, celebrities have gone away and or retreated to places to rejuvenate. I'm even thinking of, there was a big scandal around Robert Mitchum in the 1950s uh, when it was revealed that he was uh, smoking weed. He went to jail. <laughs> even like he went to oh. jail for a couple of months. And I'm sorry, but uh, who is Robert Mitchum? Is he an actor? I, th I think I know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like a bunch of movies in the 1950s. He has a really handsome, scary face. <laughs> That's great. So he goes to jail for weed. And part of like the rehabilitation process uh, from a PR perspective is they did all these features of him like fishing in the woods with his kids. So it's at once like he's getting back to what matters, right, which is like family and nature. And so nature has long held this rehabilitative force for like the corrupting 
forces of Hollywood or, you know, urban spaces or whatever. Yeah. And I think that, that like a lot of people, you know, since I've moved to Montana, like all my New York friends are just like, all they do is look at your Instagram and like see how happy your dog is. So like there's still this fantasy that Montana fixes all of your ills. And it does fix many, but not all. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram, people even sort of project that on a vacation one-off basis. Like they'll just, they won't Instagram very much when they're home. And then suddenly, as soon as they're camping, it's a flood. (laughs) It's everything. I mean, it's not wrong. Like I am happier when I'm outdoors. Like I don't want to undersell the outdoors. Um, (laughs) But I do think that like part of the, the mythical healing component, like that gets reified all the time by things like people posting Instagrams of them camping um, or by celebrities who go into the woods and like find themselves. Yeah. And and as far as that celebrity projection and also what regular people are looking for when they move there, like when they're looking for this West, right, especially in particular white people, when they're looking for this West, do they know that it wasn't that Historically, like, like, are they? Do you think they're they're aware, or or, or just uh, choosing to decide this is a new West and it'll be what they've decided it is? The actual narrative of what happened to Native peoples in the United States and all over the Americas, like, you know, that's not something that's taught in schools, and yeah. so I think it's easy to elide the underbelly of conquest and the way that, like, who had to die and who had to move in order for white people to find themselves, right? That's always a question. Who is sacrificing in order for white people to feel better? <laughs> Out here, like, there's so little diversity in, in Montana. Like, that's that's not me overstating things. That's just, like, a statement of fact, like, far less than even, near, like, Idaho, um, which has a, a pretty substantial Hispanic population. So I think, like, there's this illusion of, oh, it's all whiteness everywhere. But it's just that most of, like, the people of color, you know, like, the Native Americans are there. They're on reservations or they're in your city. It's just that like that doesn't necessarily fit into that dream. You know, they're inconvenient yeah. reminders of what's been sacrificed. I've got some of the stats you cite in the article in front of me. It's that uh, Bozeman is 94% white. The county where Justin Timberlake is living and the Yellowstone Club is 95% white. John Mayer's county of choice is 96.5% white. Like, it truly is just demographically yeah. white now. That's that's yeah, where it's absolutely. at. Of course, the, the genocide of Native Americans is one massive way. It's uh, The West was not ideal. It seems like these people who are looking for this space and this remove and this uh, this calm out there, it also wasn't even that as it was being uh, resettled. Like there were, um, we had an article on Crack that was called Five Ridiculous Myths Everyone Believes About the Wild West. It picks out that cowboys were mostly an invention of Mexico and Argentina, and then we kind of adopted it up here. But also that there were a lot of prominent black cowboys and lawmen. And one of the bases of the book, The Searchers, was a black cowboy whose wife and children were kidnapped. It was a more diverse place in history than I think people realize, too. Like, There's just so many myths that we uh, have stacked onto what actually happened. Yeah, yeah. And I, I cite this book um, called The Legacy of Conquest by Patricia Limerick, who's this incredible Western historian. And this book has been really influential in you know, academic historian circles, but should be more widely read. And what what she argues or repositions the West as this place of like incredible mixing in terms of like, yes, there are all these black people, but there are also, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, there were Chinese people who were in the West, right? Like they helped build the railroads. That might have been part of their high school history class. But there was so much more presence of Asian people like of of native native peoples of course but then also like all different types of people mixing but then it becomes like in our version like in the manifest destiny men becoming men version it just becomes like these white conquerors um, right. because that's more convenient to that simple myth. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was such a place that so many people came to for a new place to live or or a new thing to do and yeah, it's so diverse. Yeah. The other myth that uh, these people now looking for, oh, I have space where, where there's not this, as those folks said, strife, but also just no interpersonal worry I think they're looking for. And in actual history, there were all kinds of 
range wars. There were yeah. full-on fights between farmers and ranchers and miners. And, and uh, like there was the Johnson County War, 1889 to 1893 in Wyoming, where there were dozens of casualties. And it only ended when President Benjamin Harrison called in the military to break it up. It seems like even just among white people in the West in history, there was constant battle. And I, like, I, like, it's amazing not, to me. Did they not remember like 1994 when both Tombstone and Wyatt Earp telling the exact same story were both in theaters at the same time. I oh, mean, yeah, which, right. <laughs> which is all about, like, strife between white people. It still is about the strife between, like, the lawman who lives in town, who's kind of, like, evil, and then, like, the good person, like, out on the range. You know, like, even Shane is about the same sort of thing. So right, even when yeah. it is this tension between white people, it still is um, prioritizing or valorizing the singular white guy who is like figuring it out on his own. And and people who do move to the West to, to get room or get whatever looking for, you know, great. I kind of feel for them because that I'm realizing as we talk that they're probably never going to find enough space. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like there's just always going to be something they consider the city, even if it's, as you say, a, a city of 100,000 people in, in Montana. Like, I mean, what the Internet does is like these people, like the readout has a very robust Internet community. So it's not like you move to your off-grid place in the middle of nowhere in northwestern Montana and you actually don't interact with people. Like, that's what the Unabomber did. You know, there's a very different <laughs> era. <laughs> Instead, like you form these communities, a lot of the people who have moved to the readout which, to be clear, like, it's not like something where you have membership in the readout, and I think that's oftentimes misunderstood. It's not a club. It's like okay. a very vaguely conceived understanding of a, an area, which includes eastern Washington, eastern Oregon, like down into Wyoming and Nevada. It's like the, the, the new promised land, but it's, you know, there's no official boundaries. They are members, like a lot of them go to various churches, evangelical churches. They're Catholics who, like, they reject the the findings of Vatican II, so they only practice Mass and Latin still. Like, they're traditionalist Catholics. That's the word I'm looking for. One of your pieces about Idaho, you yeah, pick out some people who they believe that the recent reforms of the Vatican are illegal, I guess, and that uh, I think it said Pope Francis is a heretic. They're, they're yeah. that traditionalist yeah. about it. So, like, yeah. they have community in other ways. It's just... A, a community that they've chosen. Also, as you say, it is very social media driven, like the Bundy family. If people listening remember them, they, I think Clive and Bundy sort of took over some public land because he felt uh, uh, he could. And uh, he also has a family that uh, does that as well. And you, in one of your stories, you talk about them holding a meeting and it having a massive Facebook following. Like there's a huge fan page that they have for their group. Oh, and then they oh, yeah. streamed the meeting to thousands of people online. Like it's not removed from the rest of society. It's just using the structures the rest of us use for something else. Yeah, yeah. No, the Bundys are such an interesting case with this too, because they're part of a, an old, old lineage of people who believe that the government should not own land, essentially. The federal government should not own land. So these people are very keen on states' rights and believe that as a, as a tenant, a fundamental tenant of the Constitution. Part of this is also the tension over what's called public lands, which if you're not from the Mountain West might sound like a weird and boring thing. But essentially, there so much land in, in the Mountain West is owned by the federal government. And a lot of it is available for public access. And what that means is that, like, you or I could go hiking on it. Like, sometimes it's open for hunting land. Um, sometimes ranchers pay a pretty nominal fee to graze their cattle on it. And so mm -hmm. the reason the Bundys got in trouble initially was because he refused to pay that money to graze his cattle because he did not recognize the authority of the federal government. And so the, the following that has accumulated around him it's a lot of libertarians, a lot of constitutionalists. Sometimes they call themselves liberty-minded. A lot of politicians who've, who've run under that banner of being liberty-minded. But it's people who are, like, pissed off about the federal government managing stuff in, in states that they think should be managed on a more local level. And so with the help of Facebook, they've accumulated these people who are really disparate. You know, like, they live in rural places. Like, if you just had local meetings, it wouldn't have the same momentum. But mm -hmm. Facebook, you can you can spread it all over. There are dozens of these groups that are supporting the Bundys. 
And then the Bundys also have an, an interesting, like, religious connection, which is they are far-right Mormons. So, like, the more you study this stuff, the more complex it gets, which is, you know, true of almost anything that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, truly. The regular people, essentially, who are moving to these places, uh, maybe some of them just want the outdoors, some of them want this whole culture, this uh, readout sort of thing. With the celebrities, as we said, they are probably not survivalists or uh, furious about the government or something like that. But they are, as you're right, it seems like they're trying to deal with mistakes some way, right? Like there's some kind of defensive maneuver almost that they're doing by uh, camping out out west. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much like Justin Timberlake thinks of going to Big Sky as like trying to come to terms with whether or not he should support Black Lives Matter. I think it's more that like no one asks him about Black Lives Matter when he's in Big right. Sky. Does that make sense? It, do- it does, yeah. That same impulse to get away from strife, it's just that the parameters are, of strife are different. I include this in the piece, but I had a couple people who like have spent time at the Yellowstone Club for various reasons who told me that when Justin Timberlake is around, the staff goes to people and says, like, please don't request a selfie with Justin Timberlake. So he also, <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this space, he is um, not subject to the same sort of surveillance, like literal surveillance that he is in New York or L.A. Right. If only he could get some space from those fellow white millionaires, you know? Some, <laughs> I, ah, if only. And as far as how intentional this is, because also it seems like when he's out there, he's not asked about Black Lives Matter. He's also not asked about stuff like the Super Bowl. Like we're coming, this will go up not too long after he performed at the Super Bowl. Also, according to various reports, thought about using a hologram of Prince against right. Prince's explicit wishes before he passed away. He also performed the song Rock Your Body that he, in 2004, at a previous Super Bowl, disrobed Janet Jackson to, sending her career off course. It seems like there are a lot of different things he doesn't want to deal with all at once. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, and one of his songs on his album is like, essentially addressing like, oh, you should always say something. And he's like, sometimes the best way is to say nothing at all. So this sort of defense of like his, his silence it's complicated because I actually think that like white people need to shut up more, right? In terms of having an opinion or expressing an opinion. But I think that in his case, you know, there's a, there's a very, it's a difficult needle to thread, but it is threadable, which is how do you express support for something, for a culture that you have, that you owe your career to in a lot of ways, right? While also not making the conversation about Justin Timberlake supports Black Lives Matter. It's possible. Like other celebrities have have been able to do this. Justin Timberlake is not good at shutting up is the problem. His music draws on some accomplishments of black artists as many artists draw on many artists, you know, but it, it's yeah. super specific with him too. There's a report in Vox that looked back on his career and he was only on the Super Bowl in 2004 because Janet Jackson invited him to perform with her on her show. She had also let NSYNC perform on her Velvet Rope tour in 1998. Janet Jackson sang on Justin Timberlake's first solo album, Justify. Like, she she had helped him many times in his career, mm-hmm. and then when the famous, uh, I guess people have called it Nipplegate, when he famously caused an FCC violation by taking <laughs> her clothes off, he just kind of distanced himself as far as I can tell. He just kind of yeah. let it go. And when he's in Montana, nobody says what I just said. <laughs> he's just out yeah, in a field yeah. or something. Yeah, no, like, no, no, you know, all of the critiques that I saw of his Super Bowl show and even of his album, like, those are things he can avoid. Celebrities are able to insulate themselves in other places, too. But I think that this, to him, represents a particularly uh, convenient pivot to something that's, you know, masculine and also about his family. And, like, you know, it's a narrative that he can lean into instead. Right. He's he's focused on the important things, the, the, <laughs> the what really matters, which is... Uh, right. right. <laughs> and it seems like his music and his album, he, he is... It's almost like a PR campaign and an album all at once, right? He's doing specific things to send a message to any of us who feel critical about that. Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace. 
And hey, you should team up with them because you know what? You're great. You got a lot going on. You have uh, neat ideas about the world. You have a, a business idea that's just like percolating in your head. Maybe it's the crafts you do, you know, or that thing that you think you could help people with in some sort of advisory capacity. I can't build the business for you, but you can build it and Squarespace sure can help. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. You can showcase your work, you can showcase yourself, and you can customize everything on that site. Also, everything you build is going to be optimized for mobile right out of the box. You might use your phone to listen to podcasts. Well, guess what? A lot of people use their phones to surf the internet. If you have a Squarespace website, your website will look good on there. I work for a website. I'm in web publishing. We know that we have to make our stuff work on a phone. Your site will work there just fine. In fact, better than fine. It'll be great. Your Squarespace website will also have nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever, because that's the old days. That's history. Forget it. And if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial of building your own website. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain for it. That's squarespace.com. Offer code CRACKED. You cover a lot of different celebrities, and with all celebrities, part of me is sort of a celebrity truther. Like I lean toward thinking whatever they're doing is planned and and aimed to broadcast a specific message. Am I right? Am I am I a crackpot? Like uh, <laughs> in in general, how much are celebrities managing this kind of stuff? I think it was a hundred percent. Like Justin Timberlake has been a celebrity since he was you know a twin. Wait, I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm a hundred percent right or a crackpot? I must. You know. are hundred percent. Right. Ah, he's been right. a celebrity Great. since he was a tween. Like he knows exactly how to manage his image, how to maintain privacy when he wants privacy. Like, you know, there's hardly any photos of his of his son. Like he he knows exactly how to do it when he wants to. So whatever does become public is meant to become public. You know, anything that we're consuming, any content we're consuming about him has been contemplated, mediated. I'm, I'm sure it's been market tested in some way. Especially on that album, there are moments in it, because I've listened to it a few times now. For instance, there's one song where it's just, the song's just called Flannel, which is hilarious. Yeah. Great. <laughs> like, oh, what is a list of Western things? Oh, Flannel, I guess, you know. <laughs> but also, it, uh, among other things, there's a line in Flannel where he sings about, quote, that fancy record company man. And I feel like Justin Timberlake does not feel different from record company Matt. I think he's met many of them. I think he, <laughs> you, you can pay for a $20 million apartment by working with them. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it seems very, very, it's amazing to see somebody make a country album in the sense of PR and make an album of their own usual R&B in the sense of music. It's really, yeah. it's like a pure distilled, uh, uncut version of this phenomenon. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also like the schizophrenia of trying to please everyone at once, right, of contemporary celebrity. It forces you to embody all of these different viewpoints or you're trying to please like Twitter, but then also like 14 year olds and also their mom and also execs and then also like a global audience. And that's yeah. really difficult. But I think the only way to do it, they're one of the only ways that we've seen to do it is to, to really be authentic in, in pursuing pursuing an idea that doesn't seem to be market tested, that doesn't seem to be like this conglomeration of robot sex in the West. Like, you know, <laughs> see, people have said that like parts of this, especially the Western components, are, seem to be echoing in like a weird distorted masculine echo chamber. Beyonce's Lemonade. But like Beyonce's Lemonade exists as this like exquisite document because it seems to be drawing on a coherent artistic understanding of the world and of who she is and what she wanted to do. Like this is the sort of thing that we're going to look at 20 years from now and we're going to be like 2018 was weird like here's yeah. what we see what like this is an incredible artifact of how messed up everything was yeah like defining sort of the times and where they're at and i guess you can kind of get at it in from the artificial direction with this timberlake album and then also from sort of the other end of the spectrum like something actually artistic and confessional and about someone's life. Like I, I've been listening to the Black Panther mixtape that's that's sort of steered by Kendrick mm -hmm. Lamar and like he right. raps on that about 
being at the top and trying to deal with it. And that is accurate. He's at the top. He's like trying to figure that out. And so he put right. it into his art. Those are the two albums I've been listening to in the run up to taping this. <laughs> and it's a real whiplash. I'm sure. Well, and that's the thing is that like you would think that, OK, so here's a concept album based on like, you know, a superhero hero movie like that sounds like it would be a disaster. Right. Yeah, but I think yeah. if, when you have a singular artistic vi- vision that you devote yourself to, like it can be an incredible thing of beauty. But that's not what's going on with Timberlake's album. I had had that thought with the Black Panther thing, too. Like, like a Marvel tie-in should not be this right. interesting. It, it should have just been, like, stamped out for money. Amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, even, like, since we were talking about Prince, like, the Batman sound, like, a song like Bat Dance. <laughs> and, you know, right. The finest of song of all like, time. Yes. Some, like, Batman, the Batman soundtrack is this weird pivot, like, this moment of conglomeration in the media industries, like, yeah. and the the beginning of this fetishization of different super, superhero and franchises and this sort of thing. But then you have Prince come in and, like, make this weird thing of, of art amidst it. So, you know, it's not that the, that old argument about commercialization and art, like, can they mix? Of course they can, but what Timberlake is doing is not that. Yeah, absolutely. And there are other um, celebrities who seem to be a lens that we can see this through too, because there are all these tactics that I, as a semi-crackpot, think they're doing on purpose to like manage their persona. <laughs> and you've you've written about, among other people, Army Hammer. The actor <laughs> Army Hammer is somebody who did, as you write about, tactic after tactic after tactic and is then now kind of finding some fame that he just couldn't find before because he's like finally a little weird. Like he's finally actually got to see some strange things about him that are not uh, uh, like designed to make him famous. Right, totally. And aren't like the same story repeated over and over again to be like, isn't this person weird? And, you know, a good PR person can recognize that in an actor. I mean, some stars are just boring, right? But then I think, like, the best stars are the ones who have that that's something that's weird, that's something that can be cultivated to show, like, yeah. they're different and special and, like, admirable in some some unique and telling way. Yeah, and we, I feel like as fans, we are almost, like, we're perfectly calibrated machines to notice that stuff, just as humans yeah. operating personally. On a recent episode of the show, I talked to my colleague Jason Pargin. He was talking about, in general, human interaction in person is just different than it is online. And one of the many ways is our brains are like supercomputers for reading another person's face and figuring out what they think. Like it's not perfect, but we're amazingly good at it. And I feel like as fans, we can just figure out when it's a thing or not. Like with Army Hammer, you mentioned just now, there's a story he kept telling in interviews. Uh, That specific story, get into that, the the ringworm thing. Because that's (laughs) nuts. (laughs) So when he was young... So he's from this billionaire family, like his grandfather is a billionaire. Um, yeah, if people, if people know L.A., there's a hammer museum that his grandfather, his grandfather was like rich enough to endow an art museum. And, and he's from this family. Yeah. And so like, you know, was born into this money. And what's actually interesting and what never got mentioned in these early stories is that his mom is a super, super evangelical Christian converted his dad, who was Jewish. Um, and then they moved to the Cayman Islands to like start a school, start a Christian school in the Cayman Islands. Also, that they moved to the Cayman Islands because Army's dad saw The Firm, the John Grisham novel that was adapted <laughs> into a Tom Cruise movie, and yeah. was like, the Caymans look cool. Um, <laughs> so all of this is pretty interesting. But the story that Hammer would tell was like, I'm not a rich asshole. I used to run wild in the Cayman Islands, and I got ringworm all the time, right? <laughs> and the problem was that he told this story every single time. That's a PR tactic. Like, if you have a publicist, they are going to train you, like, okay, what's the story you can tell about yourself? And, like, it just sometimes when it gets repeated over and over again, it comes across as, as robotic um, or uninteresting when really there's, like, a whole lot more. When he's through, like, in the last couple of years, he started talking about, like, my wife and I are kind of into, like, some soft bondage. Like, they're into, like, these complex you know, ribbon tying during sex um, or like something that came out completely without his knowledge was he would on Twitter, he would save like tweets from some like ribbon bondage 
accounts <laughs> and didn't realize that like people could see your faves. I mean, <laughs> because most people who use Twitter don't have a sophisticated understanding of how it works, but some like media right. people who live on Twitter started noticing that he was, you know, went into his faves and were like, Oh, interesting. And so that, that created this second authentic layer, like, Oh, the actual army hammer is into ribbon bondage. That's interesting. Smart celebrities are ones who lean into that instead of trying to create this boring second layer. Like my favorite, one of my favorite celebrities is January Jones because she has, like, she seems like she'd just be this like lame, you know, blonde celebrity television star, but she has the best Instagram. It's just like weird. She just has an off kilter sense of humor that when you contrast with her, like Grace Kelly looks, it really feels, you know, remarkable and fresh and 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 lovely. I had no idea about that. Yeah, oh, someone yeah. someone right should. I, I will I will, will footnote <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, someone should tell me those things because I I had the exact understanding of what you said. Well, and as far as moves people do to create these things, because like I January Jones, for instance, I think was presented to me as a fan of stuff as this is a Grace Kelly type woman. This is what you know right. about her. What are um what are some other moves that actors and their teams will do to try to guide our expectations of them? I think oftentimes if someone has been stuck in a certain type of role, they will try to counter that with a different understanding. So like Alison Brie is a great example of someone whose fame early in her career was very much contingent upon her character who's pretty tight-laced in community. So mm-hmm. every single photo shoot of her for the first like four years of her career was her in like sexy lingerie in Esquire and GQ. And I at, I profiled her. I used to do some celebrity profiles. I don't anymore because they're just generally pretty boring. But I asked her about that. And she was like, you know, my publicist was like, you're going to continue to get typecast as this type of character if you don't create this component of your image that has some sort of sex in it. And so, like, where's the real Alison Brie? Like, is she wearing black lingerie in, like, a dark room? Or is she wearing a cardigan? Like, unclear. (laughs) I think, like, from, you know, as we've received more information about Alison Brie, like, both in terms of, like, doing things like, She's, you know, a voice in BoJack Horseman, and she's married to Dave Franco. Like, there's more complexity there. And even something like her performance in Glow, like, sometimes it takes many years of a celebrity's career for something more authentic and fully fledged to emerge. But in the beginning, there's a lot of that sort of ham-fisted image-making that goes on. As far as the recent move that Justin Timberlake has made, does it seem like it's going to work? I mean, his his album is number one. From what I read on Billboard, it's sold about 50,000 fewer units than his previous one, if that uh, matters to music fans. But it, does, it, does it seem like this is going to be effective? I know in the article you pick out, people in Montana finding what he's doing kind of hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and I find it hilarious. But maybe, uh, does, it, does it seem like this will pan out? I mean, what does album sales mean? <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, it's it's still held up as this real, this, like, how we judge success. But, like, who do you know who buys an album? Like, moms? Like, older moms, you know? I think that, like, the, the question is Justin Timberlake cool. Like, that to me seems resoundingly no. You know, the memes that came out of the Super Bowl – you know, there's a picture of the kid who was on his phone, who was like a teen. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the most successful meme, they, and all of the memes were trying to kind of imagine what he was typing into his phone in that moment. And the yeah. one that became the most successful was him typing in who is Justin Timberlake. You know, like he is not right. cool with the kids. Taylor Swift still is very popular with teen girls, but like that's not who, like Justin Timberlake is a geek. And he's also not cool with people in their thirties or people in their twenties. Like he's the guy who sang the troll song. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's no like cult of rejuvenation and triumph the way that there is around Britney. People look at what Britney Spears is doing now and they're like, Oh, like there's, you know, her music, she's not doing like incredibly new music and like she's incredibly boring. But at the same time, people feel a very strong connection to Britney and like her resilience is their resilience. And there isn't that sort of thing around Justin Timberlake. I think that there's a lot of ridicule, at least in this particular moment. And 
Yeah. In order for that to change, he would need to change. That Brittany example is really interesting because also she was tied to Timberlake for so much yeah. of her time. And, and uh, it is that Vegas residency that Brittany's done, isn't it? It's made it's people yeah. are like, oh, she made it uh, this far despite many, uh, many troubles, including Justin Timberlake. Like, good right, for her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you would have looked back on in like 2007 on both of their careers and been like, what's the future going to look like in 10 years? The person with the steadiest career to me seems like Britney, like the person who is more beloved nationally is Britney. Yeah. Um, and that's not what I think most people would have predicted. And then as far as white celebrities in general, we talked about the vacuum of new ones, especially white women. And then also it does seem like a white celebrity either needs to definitely choose a side in culture or else just sit it out completely. What's the way forward for a – I feel like now I'm almost doing like self-help for the white celebrities who listen to the show. Uh, but I don't know if they're ready. Um, but what do, they, what do they do? What's the way forward? I mean, I think if you were a publicist, what I would recommend right now, or not even a publicist, just if you were a person, is yeah. – I hate this word, but like you need to be woke. Like you need to be – you need to recognize and acknowledge and um, understand all of the currents of progressive culture in this moment, which is like, you're not transphobic. You're not like, it's not enough just to not to be homophobic. Like you need to be not transphobic. You're not appropriating other cultures in like orientalist ways, like Gwen Stefani, like you are sensitive about these issues. You're not like Kylie Jenner in that Pepsi commercial um, oh, man. in ways that acknowledge the different struggles of different cultural groups, you are signaling your allyhood without making this story about you. And you are also advocating for others who don't have all the privileges of whiteness or straightness or maleness. You know, like the, the story that was circulating a couple of weeks ago is how Jessica Chastain, when she learned that Octavia Spencer was not getting paid like on nearly the scale that she was, she paired their their deals together when oh, they were yeah. when they were in talks. Yeah, we'll link that as well. Yeah. So like that's real advocacy. That's actual allyship. When you are willing to give up some of your privilege in order to raise others, like that's allyship. And so white people have to think more about how it's not just like signifying allyship. Like it's not just by like being like, I have black friends <laughs> you know, like it's about actual actions and changes that will change the industry. And I think that is taken, that's taken as a mark of authenticity because it's, you know, it's actual sacrifice. I'm so glad that the answer for celebrities is to be a, be a decent person and be thoughtful. <laughs> Great. This is really exciting news. <laughs> yep. Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Anne Helen Peterson for being interesting about everything and calling in. Very fun. And in our footnotes, you will find Anne's amazing piece for BuzzFeed News. It's called Justin Timberlake, John Mayer, and the Western Rehab for White Masculinity. Also, more of her work on celebrities. And separately, because again, she has an amazing beat, separately her work on the ground in Montana, Idaho, and elsewhere, covering that place we talked about, the American Redoubt. It's a concept and sort of a geographical reality. When we talked about that, if that confused you any, we got links. We got you. It's going to be great. Also, Anne has a new piece out about Hope Hicks. Hope Hicks is a White House PR professional who is doing about as good of a job at that as you think she is. Other food notes coming up. We are linking to tons of great stuff on Cracked, including a video starring me about the historical realities of the Old West. It's very different from the myth that Timberlake and Idahoans and others are chasing after. Also footnoting the history book that Anne mentioned, it's called The Legacy of Conquest by Patricia Nelson Limerick. Also that funny scene from Spinal Tap that I mentioned at the top of the show featuring the song Lick My Love Pump. And we're going to link to a ton of the pop culture that came up as we talked. I knew we flew through a few of those topics like, uh, say, Three Wolf Moon, the t-shirt meme. Uh, the links are your friends. They'll let you in on what that is. And because we are nothing if not fair, we have a Spotify link to stream Justin Timberlake's album Man of the Woods. Because I hope I express this, but I should say that the, the packaging of this album felt 
hilarious to me and ridiculous. The actual music is Justin Timberlake music, and you may be way into it. Why don't you check it out if you think you might be? And what else should you check out? We are doing a live episode of this show, The Cracked Podcast, on Saturday, March 10th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. Our topic is our all-time most popular live show topic, that is, little-known badasses of history. It's incredible people who overcame odds, saved millions of people, or were generally awesome without getting to be famous for it. Till now, we'll fix it with a podcast. I'll be joined by comedians Emily Heller, Ian Abramson, and Zach Bornstein. You've heard or seen them in places like Late Night with Seth Meyers and Conan and SNL. And this podcast we're going to do. It's going to be amazing. Tickets are on sale now at sunset.ucbtheater. That's theater with an R-E on the end. Sunset.ucbtheater.com. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A space as crowded as the actual Wild West with a bigger robot population than Westworld. You can find my Twitter account at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.